My name is Lily Madden, and I'm a proud Aranda, Bunjalung, Kalkadun woman from Gadigal country. The Daily Oz acknowledges that this podcast is recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people and pays respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations. We pay our respects to the first peoples of these countries, both past and present. Good morning and welcome to The Daily Oz. It's Tuesday the 18th of October. I'm Zara. I'm Sam. Now before we kick off, a quick note that this episode contains discussions of domestic and sexual violence. If that's not something you're comfortable listening to or in the headspace to listen to, we will see you again tomorrow. Or if you find that today's episode brings up anything for you, there is always help available at 1-800-RESPECT. That's 1-800-737-732. The federal government has announced a major, major thing. It is the national plan to end violence against women and children in the next 10 years. In today's deep dive, we'll explore what the national plan involves, how it'll be carried out, and who it'll help. But first, Sam, take us through the headlines. Treasurer Jim Chalmers has said that Australians will need to brace themselves for cost of living impacts brought on by the latest floods across eastern Australia. While speaking to reporters this week, Chalmers said that, quote, this is a human tragedy first and foremost, but it has obvious consequences as well for the economy and for the budget. The casino licence for the Star in Sydney will be suspended and the company will be fined $100 million. It comes after an inquiry by the New South Wales Independent Casino Commission heard allegations of money laundering, organised crime links and fraud happening at the casino in Piermont. Health Minister Mark Butler has commissioned a report into the Health Department following an investigation by the Sydney Morning Herald and ABC that found multi-billion dollar rorts from the Medicare system. Butler said that the commissioned report will focus on, quote, existing compliance, audit and professional services review programs and ensure that the small minority that do the wrong thing are picked up quickly and dealt with. Finally, the good news you've all been waiting for. 23-year-old Ned Brockman completed his 3,800-kilometre run across Australia yesterday, finishing in front of big crowds at Bondi Beach. He has run, I just simply can't believe this, an average of 100 kilometres every single day since the 1st of September, and he's raised over a million dollars for charity. What a legend. So, Zara, yesterday the government announced their plan to eradicate family violence within a generation. It's an ambitious plan, but definitely a worthy one for us to be talking about. Has anything like this been attempted by government before? Yeah, so it's a good starting point. Interestingly, the National Plan to End Violence Against Women and Children 2022-2032, which is just as wide-ranging and forward-looking as it sounds, is actually the second plan, and it follows the 2010 National Plan to Reduce Violence Against Women and Their Children. Now, there's one piece of information that I think explains why this is such a priority for this government from their explanatory report for the plan. The government said that the previous plan from 2010 didn't actually succeed in reducing violence. It certainly succeeded in a few other ways. It raised awareness of the prevalence of family violence and it helped organisations and governments collaborate to help survivors. But reported rates of sexual assault actually rose during that period. And in this country, and this is just, I I can't actually get my head around this, Gendered violence is the leading driver of women's homelessness and incarceration, 
and the single biggest health risk factor for women aged 18 to 44. So just think about that. More than smoking, more than drinking, it is actually gendered violence that leads the way in that risk category. And of course, when we talk about this, rates of violence are a lot higher for certain groups like First Nations women. It's truly an unbelievable state of affairs. Is it comparable for other genders? Yeah, I think this is an important point to talk about because the government's report does use quite binary language, which they say is because these binary gender categories, quote, continue to have real effects on the lives of Australians and can be useful to frame discussions about gendered violence. So I want to acknowledge that many of the stats covered on today's pod and in this deep dive can and do apply to non-binary people, even if they're not specifically named in the data that we're talking about. And as for men, they can, of course, be victim survivors of family, sexual and domestic violence. Statistically, however, they are more likely to experience violence perpetrated by a stranger, which is outside of the remit of the government's plan that we're talking about today. Men are also overwhelmingly more likely than other genders to be named as the perpetrator of incidents of sexual, physical, family or domestic violence. So we've got the gendered dimensions of violence in Australia, the health risks and the rising rates of reported violence. With all of that in mind, how is the government actually planning to tackle this problem? So the plan is set out over 10 years and it has four main areas of focus. They are prevention, early intervention, response and recovery and healing. So let's go one by one. Let's start with the prevention stage. Prevention includes challenging these attitudes that A, normalise gendered violence, but B, place the burden on women to address violence. It also includes programs to support men and boys to develop healthy expressions of masculinity and encourage men to call out violence and attitudes that excuse or enable it. It's about stopping violence before it starts, and that leads us to early intervention, which is about stopping violence from escalating and reoccurring. And how early is the government proposing this intervention? Really early. The government's plan is to fund better support for children who experience violence by recognising them as victim survivors of family violence in their own right. It calls early intervention, quote, one of the least developed areas of work in reducing gendered violence. And the plan also suggests improving training for people who work in policing, justice, health and education to identify and compassionately respond to reports or warning signs of violence. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. And so that brings us to the third stage, which is policing and justice, right? Yeah, so we've moved from adjusting attitudes to stop violence from happening in the first two aspects of the plan to actually dealing with what happens in the worst case scenario when someone does need to reach out about domestic or family violence. The plan will improve policing and legal responses to reports of violence and the government has noted that the system often misidentifies perpetrators in self-defence situations, which First Nations advocacy group Sisters Inside has said before is disproportionately true for First Nations women reporting violence. For people who have needed to leave a violent situation, the plan includes improving housing support. The government says, and I quote, unaffordable, inadequate and insecure housing results in over 7,000 women each year returning to violent homes. And that is because they have no place to live. We then get to the recovery and healing stage. Tell me about that. Yeah, so the final area of focus is to improve trauma-informed, culturally safe and accessible services, and that's to support long-term recovery, including for children. One aspect of this is research to improve our understanding of what works, 
The plan says, quote, little is known about the ongoing impacts of violence on victim survivors that may manifest later in life, especially the impacts of violence and trauma on children over time and how these impacts may present as they become adults. So we've gone through the four stages in quite a bit of detail. Who's actually charged with carrying out all of this implementation? Yeah, it's a good question because I think often we have these very lofty plans and we have big government announcements, but when you get down to the nitty-gritty, who's actually implementing it? It's been agreed to by all state and territory governments, regardless of their politics, really. So Labor states, Liberal states, they're all on board with this. It really is an all-hands-on-deck policy. They'll also work with key national organisations like Our Watch and 1-800-RESPECT, who we mentioned earlier. I wanted to ask you a little bit more about First Nations people. You mentioned that First Nations women are disproportionately more likely than other groups to be misidentified as the perpetrator of domestic or family violence when they contact police and that they are more likely to experience violence than other groups. Was there anything in the plan specifically for First Nations people? Under the government's plan, First Nations people will be consulted to lead responses to violence within their own communities with a separate and dedicated action plan that is culturally appropriate. And you said there in terms of consultation, it's also important to note that the government's plan is based on consultation with victim survivors and representative groups. So the government is hoping that their plan is as responsive as possible. There was a lot of interest on social media with this plan being released and I think if we're still doing the TDA Daily Pod in 2032, which is not out of the question with how much you and I love it, Zara, and you're still listening there in the audience, we promise to bring you an update when that day comes. Thanks for joining us on The Daily Oz today. If you learned something from today's episode, don't forget to hit subscribe so that there is a TDA episode waiting for you every weekday morning. Have a great day and we'll be back again tomorrow.